You're listening to the expository preaching ministry of Kootenai Community Church, located in Kootenai, Idaho. We pray that Christ is exalted and your spirit is blessed by the teaching of God's Word. For more information about Kootenai Church, please visit us online at kootenaichurch.org. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This last week I was driving with my oldest daughter, Taryn, and she said, Daddy, what are you going to preach on this Sunday? I said, well, we're finishing up the book of Philippians. And she said, didn't you finish the book of Philippians last week? I said, well, we finished the section of the book of Philippians last week, but we still got that little chunk at the end where it says greetings to you from this person and greetings from this person to you. And then the the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. So that's what I'm preaching on those last three verses. (laughs) And she was really quiet and she said, how are you going to get a message out of that? I said, I don't know. And I'm here to tell you, I still don't know. We'll see what it happens. Admittedly, the verses that I just read to you, not the most preachable verses in your New Testament, are they? But they're still in your New Testament. So we do want to dive in and see what the Spirit of God might teach us, even from these greetings that Paul gives and the grace that he wishes to their spirit. Um, probably not going to be one of those messages that changes your life forever, that you're going to remember months or even years from now as a highlight. It's not going to be one of the most requested CDs that we've ever produced as a church. But it is still the New Testament book of Philippians and still a passage that by the Spirit of God is there for us. And so we're going to do two things today. We're going to look at those verses, 21, 22, and 23, and then we're going to do what I try and do toward the end or at the end of every book that we preach through here, and that is to step back and sort of take a flyby of the whole book of Philippians and sort of glance one more time at this book as a whole. Because doing a Bible study, preaching through a book, studying the Bible is much like putting together a puzzle. Now, I hate puzzles. I've done puzzles, but I hate them. I hate puzzles for the same reason that I hate golf. Because when I'm done with them, my eyes are about ready to explode. i got blood pouring out my ears. I'm about three heartbeats away from having a stroke. And I want to take a nine iron and bend it around the neck of the first person that says a crossword to me in any way whatsoever. Puzzles do the same thing to me. They frustrate me just that way. But even though I hate doing puzzles, I do love studying the Scriptures. And I do love studying the Bible. But it's like putting together a puzzle in this way. When you begin a puzzle, you, the first thing that you do is you dump all of those pieces out on the table and you take a look at the picture itself of what you're going to be putting together. And you kind of get an idea of how all of this is going to go together and where all the different things are. And you get an idea of what this picture is going to look like when you're all done. Then you dive in and you begin to look at all of the individual pieces and you start to put them together and analyze them and and, uh, observe them and see where they fit in the overall puzzle. You begin to sort of sort that out. And every once in a while you look back over at the picture, the main picture, to kind of get an idea of where you're going again. And then when you're all done with the puzzle, you step back and you look at the finished product one more time with a sense of satisfaction or frustration if you're me. Saying to yourself, there's 10 hours of my life, I'll never get back again. But you look at it with a sense of probably satisfaction. 
We're going to do the same thing with the book of the Bible. When we started Philippians, we sort of stepped back and I gave you an overview of the whole book. I gave you an outline, sort of a skeleton outline of the book of Philippians. And then we dove in and we've looked at the individual pieces, verse by verse, sometimes word by word. And every once in a while, we've stepped back and I've reminded you of the overarching theme and the overarching structure of the book of Philippians. And now, having dealt with these last final pieces in the book of Philippians, we're going to step back and we're going to do sort of a flyby and catch the whole book again in uh, sort of a jet tour through the book of Philippians, as it were. This morning, if you were in adult Sunday school class, we took a jet tour through the book of Acts. Now you get a jet tour through the book of Philippians. So let's dive into the text of Philippians. These uh, three verses. Oh, before we begin, let me ask you a question. Just out of curiosity, how many of you have shown up here for the first time and started attending Kootenai Community Church since we started the book of Philippians? Will you raise your hand? In other words, you have no recollection at all since the book of Acts. Raise it high. There's a couple people. Okay, so for your benefit, we're going to go through the whole. Now, now there's three people, four people, a couple shy people didn't want to really raise their hand. Okay, we're going to do a jet tour through the book of Philippians at the end for that reason. We're going to notice in verses 21 and 22 the greetings to the saints, and then in verse 23 the grace of the Savior. So with your Bible open to the book of Philippians, chapter 4, verse 21, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. Greet all the saints who are in Christ Jesus. Now this is a very sort of standard way for the Apostle Paul to end a letter. There is something unique here, even though he's doing something that he does in all of his other epistles, and that is to wrap up the epistle with greetings. You notice as you read your New Testament letters, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Thessalonians, First and Second Timothy, they're kind of different than how we write our letters today. Today, we write our letters by greeting people at the beginning. Hey, how are you doing? Hoping things are going well. Say hi to so-and-so for me. And then we end the letter with our signature. New Testament books are just the opposite. In Paul's day, they began with their signature, the beginning of the book. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints who are in such and such a church or such and such a location or city. And then at the end of the book, they reserve all of the personal greetings. So this is much like we would expect from Paul at the end of the epistle. But there's something unique about this greeting. And it doesn't probably occur to you at first glance, but upon some reflection, you say, hey, there's something missing here. Do you notice what it is? There's something missing. You know what we would expect to find in a very personal, very intimate letter to a church that was, of all Paul's churches, nearest and dearest to his heart? You know what we'd expect to find at the end of the letter? Greet so-and-so and so-and-so and and all the saints of such-and-such's house. And remember my brother, turn over to Romans 16. You know what you get? 36 individuals listed in the book of Romans. In a letter that Paul wrote to a city he had never been to since he became a believer, to a church he never even founded. And he lists all those people at the end of the book of Romans. And here's Philippians, his most personal letter, written to the church that was nearest and dearest to his heart, the only church that shared with him in the matter of giving and receiving, that sent a gift to him more than once, that was very close to the Apostle Paul. And he doesn't greet Lydia, he doesn't greet the Philippian jailer, he doesn't greet anybody by name. Why is that? Why is that? Why the absence of personal greetings? I think there's a reason, and I suspect, and this is sanctified speculation, so I'm telling you now, I have nothing in the text to base this upon, but this is my sanctified speculation, as far as speculation can be sanctified. And it is this. I believe it is intentional, because as you read through the book of Philippians, and we notice this, Paul from time to time begins to hint at the Philippians about the issue of unity in the congregation. You see it in chapter 1, verse 27. 
Strive together, be of one mind in the faith of the gospel. Chapter 2, if there's any consolation in Christ, be of one mind, of one purpose, striving together. And you see this throughout the book of Philippians. Then you get to chapter 4 and you find there were these two ladies, Yodia and Syntyche, who were not living in harmony in the Lord. They couldn't get along. There seems to have been something beneath the surface, something brewing, some danger, at least some, some seeds of division in the congregation that Paul knew about. And I think intentionally he doesn't greet anyone or any group of individuals here, but he just says, greet every individual saint in the church of Philippi. Now, why would he leave that off? I think he may leave that off lest anybody think that Paul was showing favoritism or lest anybody think that Paul was naming them to the exclusion of somebody else. Because you can just imagine if you were in Philippi and you were part of this spirit of sort of animosity or whatever it was that was beneath the surface and you received the book and you read it and you get to the end and you would say, no, no, I see Jim mentioned there. But I don't see Lanny mentioned. I wonder what the significance of that is. And Dave's not mentioned and Drew's not mentioned. Mel's not mentioned. Huh, but he mentioned me. I wonder why he left those guys out of the greeting. You say, would Christians really do that? No, we would never do that, would we? No, we would never be selfish and divisive or anything like that, would we? We'd never read into that any kind of significance. So I think the reason that Paul did it was just to greet everybody individually to give his love to everybody individually and not single out any individual lest somebody think he's showing favoritism or trying to read between the lines. We like to do that when we receive a letter, right? You read between the lines. What are they saying and what are they not saying and what's the hidden meaning behind that? Greet every saint who is in Christ Jesus. And then Paul says, the brethren who are with me greet you. Now, he's saying before that probably Titus, probably Aristarchus. We know it was likely Timothy. In fact, it was Timothy. And it was also Epaphroditus who was there. And it would have been Dr. Luke and probably a few others who were with Paul. So all those who were with Paul, Paul says they greet you. Because they knew the saints in Philippi just as well and loved them just as much as Paul. And then all the saints greet you. Who's he referring to there? All the saints in where? In Rome. The church in Rome. Remember, Philippi was a Roman colony. So there would have been people in the church at Rome who knew people in the church at Philippi because there was a lot of traffic amongst Roman colonies, commercial traffic and visiting and business and all of the stuff that went on back and forth between Rome and Philippi. So there would have been people in the church at Rome who had maybe believing family members and friends and business acquaintances in the church at Philippi. So Paul says, all the saints greet you. He sends a greeting from all the saints in Rome to all the saints in Philippi. And then the next phrase, I think, is the most stunning phrase in all of these three verses especially those of Caesar's household. Now, hold on a second. That is a stunning phrase. Especially those of Caesar's household. Now, if you ever wanted a biblical justification for gambling, this is it. Because you notice that Paul sends greetings from Caesar's palace. So if you wanted to twist Scripture and come up with a biblical justification for gambling, this would be your verse right here. And with interpreting Scripture like that, I could actually be a leader in the emergent church. It has nothing to do whatsoever with gambling. Paul says, especially those who are of Caesar's household. Now, does that refer to Caesar's family? It could refer to Caesar's family. But used in a context like this, speaking of Caesar himself or any administrative official, it likely referred not just to Caesar's daughters or his sons or his wife, but it would have referred to all of the civil service, all of the staff. It would have referred to anybody who was involved in the palace, in the workings of the government at the highest level especially the saints who were in Caesar's household. Now, is it not amazing, or is it not at least understandable, that the Apostle Paul back in chapter 1, verse 2, would be able to say, look, my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. What might he have had in mind there? 
There were people within Caesar's administration who were believers. Maybe his butler, his chef, his maid, maybe people in his family, maybe chief cabinet officials or the equivalent of that, his civil servants, people who were involved in running the government. Some of them had become believers. The Caesar at the time was Nero. Remember who Nero was? Nero was the emperor who eventually lit fire to Rome and watched Rome burn while he fiddled and had a party. And why did he burn down Rome? For the express purpose of being able to build it all back up according to his own design. And after he burned Rome, he blamed it on the Christians. And in 64 AD, just a couple years after Philippians was written, he launched the first government-sponsored persecution of the Christian church. And Nero would sow Christians into the skins of wild animals and throw them to the lions and they would be devoured. Nero was the one who dipped Christians in tar and lit them on fire alive to light his garden parties. That was Nero. He was wicked. He killed a brother. I think he killed one of his wives. And I think he killed either his mother or his father. This guy was the most twisted, distorted, wicked, socio-psychopathic madman that you could possibly imagine. There were people in his household who were believers. Now, I want to get to heaven, and I want to sit down, and I want to chat with whoever that was. And I want to ask them, what was it like as a believer to live with Nero? To be in Nero's home. Talk about the accountability that would exist for Nero on Judgment Day. When the light of the gospel was in his very household, and he rejected it. Not only that, but we find out from 2 Timothy chapter 4 that eventually Paul would stand trial before Nero and he would preach the gospel to Nero, after which Paul could say, the proclamation has been fully accomplished. I have preached the word to all of the Gentiles. I'm done. I've finished my course. I've stood before Nero. I have preached Christ to him. What an amazing testimony. That somebody in Nero's household, a multitude of people in Nero's household, were believers. They were Christians. That's just stunning to me. Paul's imprisonment had indeed turned out for the further progress of the gospel. So much so that in some way, that gospel had made its way into Nero's home and people had become believers as a result of that. And they were a light to Nero himself. You know the irony of this? What was Paul in prison for? The gospel. Being a believer. He was on trial for his life. Standing before Nero, going to stand before Nero, waiting his hearing date, He writes to the Philippians, and there are people in Nero's own administration that are sympathetic to Paul, that love Paul. Paul's their brother, and they're supporting Paul. That's ironic. Look at verse 23. That's the greetings of the saints. Then in verse 23, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Grace is the preeminent, fundamental element and quality of the Christian life. This book begins with a greeting to the saints. It ends with a greeting to the saints. This book begins with a statement of grace. Grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Chapter 1, verse 2. And it ends with a wish of grace. This theme of grace runs through the whole book of Philippians. So that whether you're talking about the gospel in chapter 1 and the proclamation of the gospel and what the gospel means for us, what it means to be saved and what it means to live the Christian life, all of it is by grace. It is by grace that we are saved. It is by grace that we are sanctified. It is by grace that we are secured in our salvation. 
It is by grace that we are preserved till the day of Christ Jesus, that his work, which he begun in us, is completed on the day of Christ Jesus. It is by grace that we labor and strive. It's by grace that we work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. It's by grace that we have that righteousness of chapter 3 that Paul mentions. It's by grace that we do not worry. It's by grace that we rejoice always. It's by grace that we let our gentle spirit be known to all men. It is by grace that we are content in every circumstance. And it is by grace that we give to the Lord. All of it is by grace. And so it is not surprising and it's quite appropriate that here at the end of the epistle, the Apostle Paul, having gone through all that the gospel is and explained to us all the implications of the gospel, would then say, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Why? Because you're going to need grace if you ever hope to live the way that Paul is described in Philippians chapter, these four chapters in Philippians. So grace is present from the first unto the last. Now that's the text. That was quick. Nothing like changing there, really, so to speak, but interesting, I think, at least. Now we're going to take an overview of the whole book of Philippians and sort of tie everything that we've looked at together, together. So, turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1, and you're going to want your eyes to be glancing down to the text, probably very frequently, as I sort of explain where we're going here. At the beginning of the book of Philippians, I gave you a four-word outline. Do you remember what those four words were? I've referenced them back and forth, and as I start going through them, you'll remember them, you'll call them to mind. I gave you basically a title for every chapter of the book of Philippians, and I gave you a key verse for every chapter of the book of Philippians. Now, the overarching key verse for the whole book is Philippians chapter 1, verse 21. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's the essence. Take the book of Philippians, you boil it down to its irreducible minimum, its basic elements, its basic complexity, and that's it. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's the theme of the whole book of Philippians. Living Christ. So Philippians gives us the quintessence, the quintessential elements of Christian living. So out of Philippians 1, verse 21, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain, comes everything else in the book of Philippians. Now when we get to Philippians chapter 1, we begin chapter 1, and we saw that the key word for chapter 1 was the pattern of Christian living. Chapter 1 gives us the pattern for Christian living. What is the pattern for Christian living? Sorry, no, no, purpose. I hope none of you wrote that in your Bible. I said pattern, I meant purpose. So wipe that out in your Bible if you were writing that. Chapter 1 gives us the purpose of Christian living. What is the purpose? For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. 1 verse 21 is the key verse for chapter 1. Now what does it mean to live Christ and to die as gain? Well, if you go through chapter 1, you'll notice that there are six. there's a word that's repeated six times in chapter 1. And this is Paul's emphasis in chapter 1. And it is the word gospel. It comes in chapter 1, verse 5, in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. You see it in chapter 1, verse 7. You share both in my imprisonment and the defense and confirmation of the gospel. You are partakers of grace with me. Chapter 1, verse 12, Paul says that his imprisonment had turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. Chapter 1, verse 16, he says, I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. Chapter 1, verse 27, only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And now at the end of chapter 1, verse 27, he wanted them to be striving together for the faith of the gospel. Six times he mentions gospel in chapter 1. Why? Because chapter 1 is all about the gospel. What does it mean to live Christ and to die gain? It means you understand, you appropriate, you love, you defend, you preach, you live for the gospel. And if Christ is everything to you so that living is Him, then the gospel will be everything to you. And you can't separate the gospel from Christ. If Christ is everything... The gospel is everything. So Paul's consuming passion in chapter 1 is the gospel because for him to live was Christ and to die is gain. That's the purpose of Christian living. What is the purpose of Christian living? It's Christ. To live Christ. 
And if you live Christ, you'll love the gospel, defend the gospel, share the gospel, preach the gospel, everything around the gospel. That's the purpose of Christian living. And by the way, you don't need to spend 40 days figuring that out. I just gave it to you in a little over 40 seconds, and you can say 1495. Don't have to buy the book. You're welcome. Chapter 2 is the pattern of Christian living. Chapter 1 is the purpose of Christian living, which is Christ. Chapter 2 is the pattern for Christian living. Now, if Christ is my life, and if I am consumed by the gospel, and I love the gospel and preach the gospel, then in living the gospel, what will that look like? Well, if Christ is my life, and for me to live as Him, then in chapter 2 I find out that He is also the pattern after which I live. And the key verse of chapter 2 is verse 5. Have this attitude or mind, mindset as it were, this way of thinking, in yourselves which was also in Christ Jesus. How did Christ think? Paul goes on to describe that. He who existed in the form, in the appearance, in the very nature of God, did not consider that as something to be held on to at all costs. But instead, he laid that aside and emptied himself, and he stepped down here out of the comforts and the conveniences and the glories of heaven, and he took upon himself human flesh. He came in the likeness of men and in the likeness of sinful man as a servant, and he died in the place of men, and he suffered the most humiliating, the most painful, the most excruciating death imaginable, even death on a cross. That type of humility. That's Christ-like thinking. And He did that for us. And because His selflessness and His humility so pleased the Father, God has exalted Him to the highest place and given Him a name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and those who are on earth. We're down to verse 11 now of chapter 2. That humility which is in Christ, which should manifest itself in those for whom to live is Christ and to die is gain, will manifest itself in a Living for other people and others-centeredness, just like Jesus had. That was his mindset. But Paul then goes on to say that there were three other people, three other patterns that he gave us. He gives us three examples of actual men who lived just like Jesus did and followed that pattern for Christian living. The first was himself, down in verse 17 of chapter 2. He says, I am willing to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith. Whatever it is, my life is just something to be poured out for you. I'm happy to do it. I will rejoice in it. It brings me great joy to be able to do that. Paul was an other-centered man. Then the second person who followed that pattern for Christian living was Timothy. We see that in verse 20 of chapter 2. 23, 22, somewhere. Look in there. You'll see the word Timothy. Timothy was a man who Paul says he will be concerned genuinely for not just his own interest, but for your interest. Everybody else I know is consumed by their own interest, but not Timothy. He will be genuinely concerned for you. He has that mind of Christ. He will go to you, he will serve you, and he won't care about himself. That's Christ's likeness. That's what it means to live Christ and to die being gained. Then he gives us a third example. And the third example was Epaphroditus, down in verse 25. He sent Epaphroditus, who when Epaphroditus came to Paul, he fell sick almost to the point of death, and yet he persevered and he kept on. He was faithful, wanting to finish the service that the Philippians had sent him from Philippi to Rome to accomplish for Paul. And Paul says when he became sick, he was sick almost to the point of death, but God had mercy on him, and Epaphroditus was worried because you had heard that he was sick. Talk about selfless, sacrificial living. On the verge of death, and Epaphroditus was consuming, was concerned was that somebody might be worried about him. And so he was worried that they would be worried about him. That's other-centered living. And so men like Paul, men like Timothy, men like Epaphroditus, verse 29 and 30, should be held in high regard. Then you get to chapter 3. So chapter 1 is the purpose of Christian living, which is Christ. For me to live as Christ and to die as gain. Chapter 2 is the pattern for Christian living. And who's the pattern for Christian living? Christ. Have this mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. 
Then we get to chapter 3, and we find chapter 3 gives to us the prize of Christian living, and that's chapter 3, verse 14. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Now, if you're going to live Christ and to die as gain, then you have to understand, as Paul gives us in chapter 3, you have to cast off of yourselves all hope, all faith, all confidence in any form of human righteousness. Chapter 3, if there was anybody who had human accolades that they could stand before God and boast of, it was Paul. A Hebrew of Hebrew, a Pharisee of Pharisees, pure Jewish blood of the tribe of Benjamin, faultless when it came to all of the external keeping of all the requirements of the law. He even persecuted the church. He was so zealous for his ancestral traditions. But all of those things that Paul thought were gain, he said, I came to understand they were lost. They were rubbish. They were dung. And so in order to gain Christ... You have to turn your back on all attempts at self-righteousness because you need to be righteous in order to stand in the presence of God. And Paul says, I can have righteousness one of two ways. I can either be righteous in myself and all my own deeds, or I can be righteous in the merits of another. And I will not be righteous in my own deeds because all of this is dung and it's rubbish, it's waste, it's useless. So I turn my back on all of that in order that I might have the prize, which is the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ, Not on the basis of the law, not on the basis of human works, not on the basis of good deeds, but in faith and faith alone. So Paul then has that righteousness and he says, I press on toward that goal, which is the prize. And what is the prize? It's Christ. It's his righteousness. Not that we press on to gain his righteousness by doing anything, but being found righteous, being righteous by declaration from God. We press on and we receive the prize and the prize of Christian living is Christ. And so having been made righteous, then we get to the end of chapter 3. And Paul says, stay away from those sensual people, those uh, dogs, those uh, licentious people whose fixation is on this world, whose God is their belly, who glory in earthly shame. Paul says, our citizenship is in heaven from which we eagerly wait a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of this humble state into conformity to the body of His glory. Then we get to chapter 4. Now, chapter 1 is the purpose of Christian living, to live as Christ and die as gain. Chapter 2 is the pattern for Christian living. It's Christ. Chapter 3 is the prize of Christian living. What's the prize of Christian living? It's Christ. Chapter 4 is the peace of Christian living. And what is the peace of Christian living? You guessed it. It's Christ. Chapter 4, verse 8. Or verse 7. And the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And you see that peace manifested several different ways in Philippians chapter 4, you see that at the beginning of that chapter that there was not peace within the congregation. There needs to be peace between people. Chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, Yodi and Syntyche couldn't live in harmony in the Lord. Paul says you need to live in harmony in the Lord. You need to get past your differences. Then you get on further down and that peace of Christ which dwells in us, which we have as a result of being declared righteous, that peace will manifest itself in certain ways. We will rejoice always in all things. We'll let our gentle spirit be known to all men. Verse 5. We'll worry about nothing. We'll pray against about everything. Verse 6. And when we do that, and when we use our mind rightly, the God of peace will be with us, and the peace of God will be in us, and that peace of God is Jesus Christ. And when you have that peace of God, which comes as a result of faith and Christ living in you, then you will be content in every situation, whether you have much or whether you have little, whether you live in prosperity, whether you live in want, you will be content in every situation, and you will not worry about God's supply for your needs when you give to Him graciously, because... God will supply all of our needs according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus because the grace of our God is with us. What is the purpose of Christian living? It's Christ. Our pattern is Christ. Our prize is Christ. And our peace is Christ. Christ is all over this book from beginning to end. He's the central character of the book of Philippians. He's mentioned over 70 times in these four chapters, by name or by pronoun. It's all about Christ. He's the central theme. He's the central character. 
who he is, what he has done, accomplished for us, and the implications of that are all laid out in this marvelous book of Philippians. It's Jesus Christ from beginning to end, because for us to live is Christ and to die is gain. If he is our purpose, he is our pattern, he is our prize, and he is our peace. That's the book of Philippians. That's all I got. That's the end of Philippians. That's the end of what I have to offer you. So we're going to close in prayer and be dismissed. Our Father, we are grateful to you for Jesus Christ and what he has done. Thank you for this marvelous book, how deficient would be our understanding and our sanctification without it. We thank you that the Spirit of God has written it and preserved it for us and that we can learn so much about Jesus Christ in it. Thank you for your word. Again, we pray that you would sanctify us by your truth, that you would be honored here amongst us, that you would be glorified, that you would please be pleased to burn into our hearts and into our minds all that Christ is and all that he has done. May he be truly our purpose for living, our pattern after which we live, the prize that we seek, and the peace by which we live. We bow before you for this end and give you praise in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church. If you'd like to learn more about Kootenai Church or to donate to our church ministry, you can do so online by visiting KootenyChurch.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and pray you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.